Welcome to Making Conversations, a podcast from makers Gemma Millen and Robin Galway. Today we speak with master woodmaker David Kaisley. Welcome to episode eight. Today we are speaking to Master Woodmaker David Coosley. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. No problem at all. So could you tell us a wee bit about your childhood? Did you have any, were you quite a creative child or how did you get into, yeah, this line of work? How long do you have to get going? Um, <laughs> yeah, I was creative as a child. Yeah, I was, I mean, really, I haven't really ever wanted to do anything but art, you know in school and growing up. I came from, uh, my mother was a, an art teacher, so she taught in a primary school. Enthusiastic would be an understatement. She, I mean, there's photographs of me as a kid covered from head to toe in paint and clay and this sort of thing. So, and she was like that in school too. She was, she allowed kids to express themselves. She wasn't afraid to, to get paint out and, and let the kids just go mad, you know? So, yeah, so growing up, I was, well, I wasn't a great student at other things, but I did enjoy art and yeah, and craft. After school, I, well, I did okay in my levels, but uh, I applied to get into the art college to do a foundation course, but I didn't get in there, but I got into the Rupert Stanley, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was round on the Ormond Embankment, and I did that for a year. So I don't know that they have foundation courses anymore, but they were a great introduction to art college. You, you did a wee bit of everything. You did a bit of printmaking, you did a bit of ceramics, you got life drawn and all those things that were, you know, very novel when you come out of school. I can't, it's quite a while ago, I'm afraid. I can't remember what I was really enthusiastic. It was probably mostly painting and drawing, you know, because that was the more normal subjects. But I do remember making... We did a bit of jewellery making. I remember making a little bracelet out of copper with little copper leaves soldered onto it. And I I remember at the time thinking, yeah, this is interesting, but it never went any further than that. So, yeah. So then I went to our college. I got in the next year into the Ulster University and, and did fine art. I did. You could either do painting or sculpture. I did painting, but I can't remember why exactly I was I was funneled down that road I, I was probably told you're doing painting and, and I was that young and green and I just said oh, okay <laughs> the one thing I do remember in first year was that we did a, a kind of a, the first I, I, I don't know whether it was the first term or the second term you you could go and pick four different subjects that you could do a couple of weeks in each I did ceramics and I did fashion I made a dress and in fashion and in ceramics I made these lovely coiled pots that I still have a couple of them they were kind of in the shape of figures, so they were quite sculptural. So, yeah, I was kind of interested in everything. I did printmaking, and, and I mean, I went back to painting after that, but I think that was probably again because I was so young. I just thought, well, well, actually, I want to move. I just finished my fine art degree, and I was a painter then. Yeah, so that that's my education. After that, right. we, were, we were talking a long time ago. After that, I came out, and I moved to well, I went to Spain for a year and then I came back and I got a studio in Dublin and I worked there for a while and trying to be a painter. Well, I exhibited a bit and uh, and I was so young that I just kind of, I was more living life than actually focused on work, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so I met a, a girl in Dublin and 
she's now my wife and we moved she's from Monaghan and then we moved up to Monaghan and that's where I've been ever since so I painted up here for a while and but then I started to get interested in woodworking and I suppose it was probably we had a we had a we bought it well, we didn't buy it we rented an old tumble down farmhouse and it needed windows and it needed furniture and no kitchen in it and I started sort of trying to make stuff and it really the woodworking took off from there I just absorbed in it and fascinated by learning how to make things it sounds odd now but I didn't really realize how that people made furniture with hand tools and they cut wood and I did know a bit but I didn't realize how huge a subject it was and I started reading about it and learning and practicing and buying old tools and and it's developed from there. I mean, I've been nearly 20 years at it now. So now I've had detours along the way. I've discovered stone masonry. I, then I realized that you could carve stone and, and uh, bought myself some stone working tools and started working at that. And in fact, I've spent quite a few years as a stone mason in the past, not for the last maybe 10 years. I haven't. I, I still do a wee bit, but um, I've built a lot of dry stone walls and done a lot of stonework too but the woodworking has always been there too early on I mean some of the things I used to make were well not very well made you know cutting pieces of wood and not understanding how you could manage to I measured that and I marked a line and I cut it and I cut it the wrong way or I cut it upside down or I made things that were full of filler and you know so there's a lot of learning over the years but the work I do now has been I kind of see as separate to some of the other work that I do. I mean, I've I've put roofs on churches and I've done a lot of, I, I still do a bit of conservation work to make money, which is old, working with old windows and doors and, and on old buildings. And so I work with stone and timber and, and glass and all sorts of materials. And I suppose maybe that's a common theme with me and a bit like I was talking about our college. I just am interested in making and working with my hands and, and materials and I've sort of got a bit older now and realized that I can't actually do everything but at one stage I nearly wanted to it would, it would drive drove my wife demented and I'd be working at all sorts of things <laughs> all the time <laughs> so yeah do you feel like learning more organically rather than being sort of educated in wood has kind of changed how you approach your learning do you think that not being told the technical aspect has meant that you can get more organic and free forms. I think maybe that's, it's just the way I am, that I'm not like, I wouldn't consider myself a natural furniture maker because it's quite a precision craft. It's all about lines and measurements. And I mean, certainly I can cut dovetails and I can make precise furniture, but I've forced and taught myself to do that over the years. And I've made a lot of mistakes up until this point but I've seen woodworkers that have that innate ability to make beautiful precise work very early on it's taken me a long time to learn that teaching myself I think that's probably like I talked about my mother she just had no fear of and no concern to get tore into things and try new things and let the kids try new things when she was teaching real joy there with color and materials and and I think that's really probably one of my strengths that I'm not scared to have a go. I probably would have learned a lot quicker if somebody had taught me woodworking, but yeah, that's just the way it happened. As a material, wood absolutely 
terrifies me not only just because there's so many different types of wood but also when you are working with it although it could be seen as that material has been processed even after something's been made it's still very much so alive you know it can move it can adjust with humidity and is there a particular type of wood that you prefer to work with well I I suppose more recently I mean years ago I I became interested in green woodworking, which is kind of, well, a lot of woodworking would have been that type of unseasoned work. Not all of it, but making chairs, carving bowls. So I made myself a pole lathe and learned to turn that way. So I work both ways. So I I maybe prefer working green because it's more sculptural. You can cut a block of wood and carve into it. It's soft. It's easy to work. But it'll also, if you're not careful, it'll split and kind of more experimental. You you have to be more careful that way. There's more mistakes, but it's maybe more pleasurable for the type of work I'm doing at the minute. Seasoning wood, you have to work with it. I suppose, again, like all, all materials, it's experience. Um, like Iroko, it's, a, it's a, an African wood is unpleasant to work with. It's... The dust is unpleasant if it gets in your lungs. It creates big, long splinters that will stick in your hands. And it's, it's hard on tools, whereas something like ash or oak is, is a beautiful timber to work. It's experience, isn't it? It's learning which timber suits which job. And again, like, like I said earlier, the woodworking is a craft that there's quite a lot to it. I mean, it's a huge, wide, broad family of trades, nearly all involved in woodworking. Yeah, I'm still learning. Still, I, I know a little, but I would no, in no way consider myself. I mean, you said at the start, Master Woodward, I'm in no way that, but I'm down the line. Yeah. I'm further on than I was 10 years ago. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't give themselves the time to learn and make mistakes. And, you know, especially we've been talking to a few other people who have said about the urgency to to have that skill and have it now but I think if you allow yourself the patience to learn that's how you know obviously you improve and get to the quality well, and level that you've got I, I suppose so patience is not a virtue maybe you have when you're young so much it's taken me years to realize that taking a bigger hammer than the one you're hammering with and trying to force something is not always the way to go and you've got to sit back and and think again or make the joint better to make it fit rather than beating it with a big hammer but I've learned that by experience that you'll ruin a day's work by 10 minutes of impatience so I don't know whether it's patience I mean maybe that ties into what we were talking about earlier that I've worked at this but at other times I mean I've been away from it and I've done other things so so I have absolutely no knowledge really of wood I mean I suppose the only experience that I would say that I could call from is that I remember watching Norm Abram on the is it the new Yankee workshop and yeah. um, those old yeah, television yeah, yeah. program or this old house um, he was like, yeah. he's amazing absolutely phenomenal he, the work that he goes into in terms of looking at a piece of furniture looking at something that has been made and then taking that back and remaking it again it's just I loved watching that I love I still I I still have those programs on you know I let my little boy watch them and it's such a very pleasing um, process to watch and enjoy and he's so informative it's phenomenal but like I haven't picked up enough to know but whenever you're talking about green wood 
and seasoned wood. Could you maybe describe well, someone like me who knows nothing, <laughs> uh, what that means? Well, wood that you would, and that ties into me living in in rural Monaghan, where I have access now to, you know, farms are cutting down trees or trees get blown. And I have access to wood which has just been fallen or or I can cut timber myself. So it's, you say it's green, but it's, it's still full of water. It's unseasoned. Wood that you'd buy to make fine furniture out of needs to be dried out before you can use it or else it'll just shrink and crack and warp and twist. So... Okay. You can buy you can buy seasoned timber that's been kiln dried in a timber importers, all sorts of timber. But a lot of it's well, it comes from all over the world. A lot of it's American. A lot of it comes from Africa. I like where I can to use timber that I have know the provenance of, and I know where it comes from. So the other way of working not to seasoning wood is to saw it and put little stickers between it and let it air dry, and then that's another way of using it. But that takes time. I mean, you're talking years rather than weeks. There are two ends of the sort of the woodworking spectrum. Uh, traditionally, a lot of the folk crafts would have used green wood, cut hazel and willow. And I mean, you're getting into sort of towards basket making and cooper and those sort of trades would have all used green timber and cut it young and seasoned it quickly and, and learn to use it and adjust to the way it moves. The green woodworking, I suppose, is something that didn't, it has interested me for a long time and but you know I, I suppose I'm chair making is a big passion so I spent a good few years making well there's different names for them stick chairs or w- chairs with green wood quite often I would have a woven seat and it's a lovely way to work because you can you can take a log you can split it split it into sections you can put it on a lathe and turn legs turn rungs now you have to season certain parts of it, but only for a day or two. And you can split out the back slats and you have a chair from a tree and it you can make one in a couple of days, you know. Yeah. So it's a nice way to work. You have yeah. shaving horses and draw knives and things. Yeah. And is it about the time aspect of why it is that you love making chairs so much that it's a very quick product to make? Chairs, well... <laughs> They're difficult to make. Yeah, well, they're, they're maybe, yeah, it's they're quite difficult to make a comfortable chair. And they're kind of a thing that everyone tries to test themselves against. You know, can I make a chair and can I make a new, nobody can make a new, there's not too many chairs that haven't been made already, but we all like to try. They're quite a sculptural thing, you know, and they're, they're elegant, they're useful they're, and difficult. So, yeah, they're, I suppose when sometimes when I'm making cupboards or wardrobes or sideboards and different things a lot of timber a lot of time involved and it's not something you can maybe make on spec too much unless you have a client or a commission you know so yeah maybe all those things tie into it i mean you have to be practical sometimes and wood's expensive and i like making them it's a challenge so in terms of your design aspect do you think there's a similarity between the painting works you would have done in university and the sculptural you know chairs and um, um, pieces that you make now do you think it's recognizable as you know your style i think my style of painting was recognizable but i don't think i mean i loved color i was, I was good with color it came naturally to me so i pushed that for a long time and i i don't know that i mean color and form i mean they're what 
what else is there there but they're kind of separate you know and funny for such a having such a love of color it does come into my work sometimes but i kind of see it as separate now i started painting again well what, maybe 10 years ago it was about 10 years ago and tried it for a while but i just couldn't sit still i had to be up on my feet i had to be working so it just it did it's kind of I've moved on from it. So I think everyone else you could say like um, stonework, conservation work, even at one stage when I was young, I discovered that men in Italy worked at old, you know, old Ferraris were made by hand and men took sheets of steel and hammered them into these forms. And I went, oh my good grief, that's unbelievable. And I, would, I had to go at that for a while. So I think all those things are linked. You know, I think it's just materials and your hands and form but the painting not sure not sure good fun but <laughs> there's a lovely uh, yeah. aspect to um some of the pieces that you make like you're you're currently working on a noah's ark and you've got some beautiful dolls and cats yeah. that we've seen before and i think that's yeah. a lovely crossover that's not something that people tend to do certainly that i've noticed where you have crossed over almost your painting onto the wood people who can be quite well, yeah, curious about it. I never thought about the, that aspect. Yeah, I suppose the colour and all comes into the arc. And, I mean, they're, they're again, they come from... Well, I've made little animals and figures and characters for years. Um, and I've refined them over the years, and my skills have got better, and I've given more consideration to quality and, you know, and, and design. But they're still on the same... I'm still on the same line. It's a progression from those early things. I mean, I, I made one time years ago, I sold it in spacecraft. I don't know who was crazy enough to buy it, but it was uh, Jacques, the French builder. And he was a, a little figure with, uh, he was about a foot tall and he had a big nose and a moustache and a French jacket on it. Yeah. Uh, but so, yeah, and he was painted and uh, that's worked its way through. The, the Noah's Ark is a, I love folk craft. I love the fact that men cut and carve these animals with a knife. And, you know, and I mean, all those animals that I'm making for the Noah's Ark, the only thing that I use is a carving knife. I mean, the Swedish have a lovely tradition of carved horses and simple, um, direct. I mean, men and women have been carving for thousands of years with a knife, carving wood. So, in fact, I turned up somewhere, I think it was maybe in. I don't know, Instagram or something, uh, they discovered a couple of little wild boars and they were 3,000 years old, little carved animals, you know. So There's such a whimsy to the pieces that you make, like those little pieces that have such a character to them as well. And would you say that it's the making process of you carving them that really attributes that into those I pieces? Think, I think that aspect of my work is linked to years of, I mean, I've always drawn, I, st I still draw and illustrate and just, I mean, if you see my sketchbooks, they're full of little characters and just, I think that humour comes from that. It's linked to, yeah, it would be whimsy is the right word. It's fun, you know, not everyone has to be drop dead serious, you know. And that work is some somewhere I'm pushing. I always love to, I mean, have five kids and spent years reading children's books and looking at stories and and I know what's funny for kids and I, I think yeah that's my take on it anyway and that's developed into the woodworking and the model making and the cats and I mean I have a dog lined up to go I have a fox and I just need time to develop them and start 
producing them, you know. Wow. Brilliant. And didn't you make, I I, I vaguely remember, was it, there was like a little race rabbit or something that you made? Yeah. um, And little uh, carts and cars and things? Um, I had lots of little dogs and I'd have them and badgers and things and they'd all be driving little race cars, but the rears would be flying out behind them and their tongues sticking out. And Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, I remember those. Definitely. They're fantastic. They do. They're funny. Yeah. Yeah. I I suppose with kids toys i mean there's it's i it scares the life out of me the insurance aspect of it and making them safe enough absolutely also making them cheap enough i mean even the little cars there's a lot of work in them like you know i suppose that's an age-old dilemma with craft workers is how do you make stuff cheap enough that people will buy it you know so especially things like that that are everyday things you know but people do so it's great so you're talking about the process of sort of hand carving with knives. Is there any, I know you've done some beautiful turned candle holders, or I don't know if they are turned, sorry. Um, I'm just assuming. Yeah, Is there, are, yeah. what variation of processes do you do? Is it that you have a form in mind and you just choose whichever way is best to go about it? Or do you have a preference, like a preferred way um, of making? Well, nearly all my work and always has been, I draw. So I would just, draw and draw in sketchbooks till I find a form that I think has potential. Sometimes I'll I'll wait and come back to it, you know, a few days later or a week or I'll keep drawing. But and those candlesticks, they started off as more kind of almost flower forms and bulk forms, organic things, and they've developed into through drawing and through just turning them into the ones I'm making at the minute, which some of them I think I'm pleased with, yeah. So yeah, all my work is drawn first in a sketchbook, but but then I have to actually actually make it or make a model. I mean, the candlesticks and those turned forms don't take that long to turn, so I can go straight at it and see. I mean, I make there's quite a lot of them just don't turn out for me, but other things like a chair, I would make a model first. You know, or other, you know, that sort of thing. So that's kind of the way I work. John will take you so far, then you got to get off the bench and have a go. So I wanted to ask about design influences that would inspire you to make, particularly with the furniture. Would you have a design well, influence? Oh well, I mean, I'm I'm constantly looking at artwork and sculpture and craft work and just yeah. So one design influence, no, but. When I started woodworking, I loved shaker furniture. I don't know whether you're familiar with shaker work. Beautifully simple, with all the adornment taken off it, and lovely craftsmanship. So that was an early one. Then I worked through probably my favorite designer is Finn Jew. He was a Danish architect and designer, famous for his chairs, which are just, yeah, they're still mind-blowing and beautiful. That Those were it early influences and big influences. The work I'm doing now is a definite development from when I was younger I loved James Krenov. He was a he was a well he was Russian Swedish woodworker who promoted handwork and craft work in the seventies when it wasn't cool and he got a whole lot of young furniture makers and woodworkers back into the craft. And early things that I made were like little copies of his work and 
little shaker work and a lot of stuff that was kind of copies of Hans Wagner and these Danish designers. So that was just me poking a bit the way you have kids in the classroom and you'll find they're all copying each other and they're all drawing similar things. And I've just worked and worked. And I mean, we were talking about this, the green chairs that I made earlier. They're not in any way original to me. They're, they've been made for hundreds of years, but just slowly try to develop my own style. And I think that's just maturity. I think you've got to work your way through until you find your own voice. Starting to do that now. Yeah. Is it specifically use hand tools and handworking that you would prefer when making Handworking is really, I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with machines. I mean, with, with timber now, I mean, I can't say I don't use machines because I do. I mean, even my green woodwork and I have to use a chainsaw to cut, you know. Otherwise, you can't be silly about it. You can't go at things with, you know, an axe and spend days. And I use machinery. I have a beautiful bandsaw that I bought years ago. It's a big 19th century bandsaw that I love. So it would cut out my rough work. But all my finishing and all my carving is done by hand. I have a bit of a tick about, you know, you can get all sorts of grinder attachments to carve with and all sorts of new machinery. But I take a hammer and a gouge. I can't, I, maybe it's some sort of puritanical. I have to create pain for myself, but I just think I'm more in tune. I think machines are great for taking the labor out of things, but unless you know how to do it by hand, you're losing. You know. Yeah, definitely. Okay. If you search anywhere online, whether it's Instagram or Facebook for woodworking, you can't go anywhere without kind of bumping into these like resin videos mm. of people pouring resin into things. And yeah. that seems to be a massive trend, particularly in furniture making. How do you feel about that? Well, I'm not very critical of what other people make. I think I wouldn't use resin. I don't kind of goes against. It's not really my type of woodworking but you know if people like what that type of workshop why not you know and it's flashy i suppose you know but yeah sure go for it you know i don't like being too judgmental you know because we're all on a trying our best you know absolutely you were saying that you worked a bit with stone i did a bit of stone carving mm. whenever i was in finland and thought it was a fascinating process what kind of stone did you work with and have you done any interdisciplinary where you would sort of put the wood and stone together or do you keep them as sort of separate practices? I often thought the um, some of my carved work would translate into stone but I think I've kind of learned at this stage that maybe I need to focus a bit more than maybe my focus was a bit broad before so I've worked with a lot of limestone I mean I've I'm not an experienced stone carver, but I've worked with stone a lot. Yeah, I haven't really used it. I know it probably would translate some of my work into stone, but I, I've got to stick to one thing at this stage. I'm going to stick with the wood. Um, but you never, never say never, you know. I don't know down the line. So you've shared on your Instagram, uh, I think it was during the start of the lockdown, about how you were developing this old barn into a bit of an extension of your workshop. Yeah. Yeah. How's yeah. that going? And could you talk to us a little bit about your studio space and your workshop? What kind of equipment do you have okay. in it? What's, what's the setup like? Yeah. Well, yeah, but well, when we when we moved here from when we built this house and I threw up a tin shed to, to work in thinking that this was temporary and I did put a base down for a 
proper workshop and I had all sorts of ideas for uh, stone faced and old barn and all sorts of things. But lo and behold, up until this the lockdown, I was still working out of the same tin shed. So it's not ideal for a woodworker because in the winter it's freezing. I have a oh, stove gosh. in the corner. In the yeah. summer, it would bake you alive. So, but <laughs> um, just at the start of the year, I got a call from a friend to say that somebody knew was pulling down an old hay barn and did I want it? It was going to be buried in the field. And I said, surely. So I went and stripped it down and took it home. And during the lockdown, I got a chance to extend the workshop. So I now have the full footprint of what I'd originally planned, only it's, well, actually the new bit is fantastic. It's all, I love it to bits. Now it's given me twice the space. Brilliant. But, but the height is beautiful. It's got a lovely feel to it. Now it's still, it still hasn't got glass in the windows. I'm still, <laughs> so at night I'm throwing up plywood and putting the bar across it. But, and I'm, I've started to insulate it and shelve it out. So yeah, like all things, it's a, it's a work in progress. Kitten out wise, I do have machinery, but I really am not a. I have a, a lovely bandsaw. I have an old photograph of the bandsaw from an arts and uh, the same bandsaw is mine from an arts and crafts workshop somewhere in the Cotswolds. And the workmen are all wearing white aprons and straw boaters. And there's my bandsaw, the same model in the corner driven off a big leather belt. So I love that, that it's, it's just, it's a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lovely table saw and I don't use a pole lathe anymore. I, I bought an old Myford lathe, which is 1950s. I love vintage machinery, so it's not a big lathe, but it does what I want to do. I have a wee planer and a thicknesser. And uh, recently there, I bought a new pillar drill which is a nice old start right one, again, from the 50s. Um, uh, I have my hand tools in a, a big tool cupboard beside my bench, which is kind of a Franken bench. It was an old school bench that I've, over the years, I've put drawers in and resurfaced and put an extra tail vice on. So I love it. I bought it from my dad, and he put it in his, he was a car man, he, but it was too big for his garage, and he, he gave it back to me. And I, I love it even more because of that, because it's a kind of a, he's dead 10 years, so it's kind of a, a double whammy, you know. It's a great bench. It's got character and it's got sentiment there too. So that's kind of me, Absolutely. big drafty workshop, you know, plenty of room around me outside. And <laughs> Yeah, well, that sounds wonderful. And it, especially coming from such a creative family as well. I mean, your mother being an art teacher, but your dad also working on cars as well. That's working with your hands. Was that something that growing up, would you exposed yeah. to that then through him? He had old cars. He always loved old cars. So I suppose I kind of take some, I try and feed that into some design influence that, you know, that, I mean, some cars are beautifully designed, you know, I love the form of them. And, uh, yeah, I suppose I got that from him working on old cars. And I think when I was growing up, what I did was take old bikes to bits and then not be able to put them back together and drive them insane. And, and, <laughs> but in there, when I grew up then, I, I yeah, it was a shared passion between the two of us. We, we worked at old cars. I still love old cars. But um, yeah, so that was a connection there. And working with your hands again, he, yeah. He taught me that. He built knockdown walls and built extensions on our house at home when I was young. So, 
And so you said that you built your house. Well, it was an old, we bought an old farmhouse when we got, we got started to get too many kids for the, the wee house we were renting. And mm-hmm. we moved here and we decided we'd build a, a monster extension on it. But it was a good idea at the time. But I decided that I'd build the blocks and I'll make the windows and I'll roof it and I'll slab it and floor it and make the doors. And so we lived in a caravan for a couple of years out front and it didn't take a couple of years now. It took seven or eight years to do. And I think it's finished. My wife thinks it's, you know, only a quarter finished, that sort of way. So, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I wouldn't do it now, but I did it then. I was young and enthusiastic. And yeah, I learned a lot. And how did you find the balance of being a creative and being a dad and having kids in that environment? Are they very helpful or do they sort of can't really, um, they don't like chipping in? Well, I, I said I wasn't going to talk about them on this because they're too, too embarrassed. But um, <laughs> growing up, yeah, I was, in, I was working from home. I was here a lot. So that was great. Being a creative is not a steady income. It's being self-employed. You've got work, then you haven't. You know, you know. Sometimes you have too much work. Then the next thing you're wondering where next month's money is coming from. So, yeah, it's not easy that way. My kids are all. I have my eldest son. He's a filmmaker. My daughter. She's just finished architecture. The next we want still at school. She wants to go to Denmark to do product design. My other wow. son. He's going to do model making in Dunleary. So, and the wee fella, he's, he's still killing orcs out the back with a wooden sword. So, <laughs> so yeah, they're all, you must be they're so all, proud. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Incredible. yeah it's incredible. It's such a it's creative good. bunch. It's amazing. Well, it, the lockdown hasn't been simple now, but yeah, it's good. Having them all home. <laughs> yeah, they're creative, yeah. How have you found, you know, lockdown? I know a lot of different people have like maybe lost projects that they were doing and sources of income and things like that. And if nothing else, things have definitely changed. Have you felt much of an effect as a result of COVID? Well, I've said income, yeah, difficult having everyone at home and just the kind of the it was quite an anxious time at the start for everyone. Being locked at home in a workshop, not so difficult. Building a new workshop, fantastic. So... It's had its upsides and downsides, but yeah, I've made use of it. And I can't say I've got as much work done and new work done as I'd like to have, but yeah, we're working our way through it. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's difficult, but it's strange. I think for a while there, we thought that we were never going to work again, or but it seems to be people are adjusting to the new normal, aren't they? Yeah. That's it. Absolutely. So we know that you've worked previously with Mourn Textiles on some of your your chairs um, well, or maybe it was a chair that you worked with? Yeah, well, I didn't work with them as such as okay. you love their material and, and I've used it on a good few chairs now, yeah. I haven't made any of those chairs in a while, but yeah, I mean, their material is beautiful. So Absolutely stunning, yeah. Yeah, um, I kind of felt guilty about kind of boosting my work with their work but <laughs> oh gosh no no way no that, that's totally not what's happening no that's a beautiful collaboration between Absolutely. you know increase with function and everything as well but what I uh, wanted to know if there is a dream collaboration for you in terms of another maker or another discipline is is that something you've ever thought about um well I don't know about well collaboration I'm not sure I I mean 
certainly be open to it. Another maker, there's so many makers that I love their work. It's, I'm not, yeah, I mean, it'd be great. Any sort of, you know, respect or collaboration with your peers is great, you know, isn't it? Definitely, I mean, yeah. I don't know about that, but yeah, I'd certainly be, certainly be open to it. Would you have a dream commission piece, you know, maybe something that you wish somebody had asked you or would ask you to make? Well, I have two or three things in my sketchbooks that I just would maybe take. I mean, I'm working on a piece at the minute. It's I, I was lucky enough to get a big sequoia, big bit red or red. Yeah, a giant redwood that had been. Wow. It had been grown in Rossmore Park and cut down in the 80s and it's been lying in a yard ever since and I got 40 feet of it. So I'm making a kind of a desk out of it and it's all hand carved so I've sort of taken half the tree and hand carved it but it's it's kind of dementing me at this stage it's taken so long you know because I go back at it and then I go I'm not starting anything else to get this finished and then I can't get it finished and so I have two or three things like that in my sketchbook I would need to have somebody to commission them or something similar that I could take the time and get tore into them so yeah but involving maybe bigger more experimental sculptural type Forms, you know. So yeah. And is that yeah, the sequoia redwood? Is that is that are those those yeah. enormous trees you see pictures of from America? Yeah, or... like in California. Yeah. Yeah. Are, is that those are the type of trees of you mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I only got the bottom forty feet of it, but that's maybe only a, you know a third of it. Amazing. They used to bring them back in Victorian times and grow them as specimens in big country estates and houses and things. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, so no, it's yeah, it's a strange timber. It's quite, it's actually a softwood, so it's quite light and hard to carve. But right. when you cut it open, it's vibrant pink. It goes darker with, you know, with age, wow. but it's pure pink. Love it. Yeah. Is there much waste in working with wood? Like obviously you have a solid piece of wood. You know, can you with sort of offcuts and things? You know, do they become badgers um, and bits and pieces? Or well, uh... well, very definitely with that sort of work that there's very little that couldn't be used. I suppose some of the carved pieces where you're hollowing out a, a block, there would be a bit of waste. But most of that wood will probably end up as firewood if you didn't rescue it. So, you know, so much timber is just sawn up and burnt. So it's not really a waste. I suppose hollowing out a, a big block of sequoia could be considered wasteful, but I'm giving it another life. So. Do you work within your community quite a bit? Like you were saying that somebody had phoned you up to say, oh, do you want this old barn or this piece of wood? Like, are you quite well known within your community? Yeah, maybe not so much for my artwork, which <laughs> wouldn't have as big a, a use. But I mean, I'm well known for woodwork. And yeah, I've, I mean, I've taken out a lot of, worked on a lot of churches. I mean, every church in the country has rotten windows and floors that are sagging and in fact, yeah, I mean, I fixed a staircase on, in a church on last week on Friday. So, yeah, so I, I have built up, yeah, kind of a, a base that way. But well known for my, I think maybe more well known for being a bit odd. And there's that boy, you know what he'd be at next sort of thing rather than <laughs> in a good way. But, but yeah, I certainly have people that I will keep me bits of timber or give them the heads up for things, yeah. Do you have a favourite type of wood that you like to work in? Like, what is your ultimate, you know, dream material? I don't know that I have a 
favourite woods. Some of them are easy to work with. It depends what you're working at. I used to love black walnut, but it's become, it's like buying gold now. It's not expensive. It's also not native. So you're buying wood that's been, you know, it's been grown in America and shipped over. I love a nice bit of beech or ash. It's a beautiful timber. Oak, not much oak in. There is oak in the country, but not you don't come across it that often. Yeah, so I'm not a, what would you say? I'm not a wood snob, you know. I like wood. I like the discipline of it. I like, the, I like working with it. I love it when it's finished, the polish it takes, and it's warm. Yeah, so a bit like a favourite film. You were asking me that earlier. I don't, don't know whether I could give you a favourite film or a favourite wood. <laughs> and what about then, instead of maybe picking a favourite wood, is there a specific finish that you prefer on your work? That's something I've learned in the early days. Finishing is a whole skill in itself that I was, you know, tortured with not finding the right finish. Or if you leave wood naturally, it gets dirty. If you wax, it's a beautiful thing to use, but fingerprints and all and water will will stain it and make it, your fingerprints will rub off and leave it dirty. So a lot of my sculptural forms that I'm making now I'm actually using black ink and I find that it's just Indian ink which is soot basically and I can paint it on and and polish it through finer and finer grits of paper and put on successive layers and it gives me a lovely I like it at the minute anyway I mean with that type of work I love it black it's rich black color I mean I also you can use uh, iron filings in vinegar and that will stain. So I think I'm going to do that with this bit of sequoia and it gives it a lovely black ebonized finish too. I've been using black a lot recently, but yeah, black cats and, and it's waterproof. So yeah. Fantastic. Is that what you would use on your, is it beetle boxes? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. They're all black ink. I don't know whether that's what I should be using, but I, I I like the finish. I love the polish I get. So that's what I'm using at the minute. Yeah. Do you get that polish yeah. from going down, you know, the grades and making it a finer finish on top? Or is that yeah. something that you find the the black ink kind of adds to, you know, it adds this sort of lustrous quality? Well, it does, but most finishes will actually only show up. You're a poor finishing rather than hide it. You can't really hide a lack of preparation with timber. It's just so... A couple of coats of black ink will show up terribly a couple of scratches in the surface or so it's it's really just a kind of a polish in the ink rather than sand on the surface which has to be done beforehand but yeah it go right down to maybe 1200 grit paper you know to get that nice polish but i mean i'll probably go off that and start finishing them in some other way you know next week <laughs> i have loads of different boxes beetle boxes in my sketchbooks that just have to get that and when you say beetle box is that like an official term or is that just something that you have called them no i just thought they looked like little black you know the little shiny black beetles that all the women when start screaming when they crawl across the floor (laughs) and then you're watching tv (laughs) oh they are beautiful I do love them. They're gorgeous. But I did wonder is because I know there's like dovetail joints and, you know, all these different types of butt joints and <laughs> certain terms yeah, for yeah. words that I didn't know if, you know, a beetle box was an official, like a thing. <laughs> but, but no, I love that you've just made yeah, that up. No, only with me. Yeah. yeah only with me. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. 
And so who would be your typical client? I'm ashamed to say I've only had a few pieces made of furniture once we moved into our house and our, our go-to yeah. is, is Ikea, as I'm sure is quite the same for yeah. people. But um, what, how do you sort of feel about mass-produced furniture industries such as Ikea and things like that? Well, Ikea is great for, I mean, we have a house full of Ikea ourselves. It's it's the way it has to be and it's the way it's been for a long time. Not everyone can afford handmade furniture. I mean, I recently made an outdoor bench for an old couple that wanted somewhere to sit outside. I think maybe they were thinking about social distancing and, and sitting outside with people that call and things. And they could buy a, a teak bench in B&Q for 200 euros or 240 euros but I couldn't buy the material for that you know so I think as long as it's reasonably well designed I mean IKEA furniture is not going to last forever it's got a lifespan like everything nowadays but it has a place I initially thought that maybe I could turn myself into a mass producer you know make furniture and chairs and tables and but that way I have to scale up and up and maybe employ people and invest in machinery in a bigger workshop. And I just, my work's not going that way. It's actually going maybe the opposite way, more towards art pieces. I was also wondering, would you consider yourself to make product or are they kind of more one-off pieces? You know, is it, because obviously um, well, it's, it's like not something the, that is easy to mass make. The, the wee cats, and I made a set of wee dolls called K before that, and I made a couple of runs of them. They're made to be produced in a series, but not mass produced, but maybe produced in, you know, I make them in 10s because, I mean, 20 legs and 20 arms and, or 40 leg joints and this sort of thing, that's... That's a way that I can scale up, but not go completely out of control because everything, I don't have a copy later and it's all turned by hand. So, but on a bigger scale than that, no, I can't see that happening. But yeah, so those are made to be mass produced. My other furniture, maybe not, you know. Well, I mean, if you're making a set of chairs, you have to make six all the same. But What is your favorite piece or item that you've ever made? <laughs> um. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, you know, with your work, and you probably know it with your own work, you look back at some things and you go, oh, my goodness, what was I thinking? And that's not the <laughs> stuff that doesn't end up in the bin. But things that stand up are things that you can go back to after a few years and think. I mean, I'm talking to you now on a chair, and it's one of my older chairs, but it's comfortable. It's as refined as I was able to make this style of chair. There's no mistakes on it. It looks nice as far as it goes. And it's it's just a nice, honest, well-made thing. And, and yeah, so. Beautiful. Is your house filled know. with original pieces? No. Well, yeah, pieces <laughs> that nobody wants. But, <laughs> but uh, I have some stuff in it, all right. But not as much as you'd think. But I mean, yeah, it doesn't need to be. I, I, it's nicer if other people of your work isn't it yeah. ultimately oh, that's why you're working is there any advice you wish you had known or that you could give to other people starting out in woodwork or painting be excited be interested be open to everything that's around you don't be afraid to make mistakes i used to beat myself up terribly for and having no focus for jumping from one thing to another one discipline to another and now i see it as a progression it's it's all made me who I am now so yeah try it what's the worst that can happen 
Fantastic. Oh, Please don't anybody injure yourselves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> has there been anything that has gone horribly wrong or like one of the mistakes that you, you've really learned from, whether um, that's, you know, in selling or in making or in any well, form of creative practice? Quality is important, isn't it? Early on, I made things that would come back to me and, you know, I made a set of chairs once and I'm talking about oh, it could be 18 years ago and they put, I upholstered them myself, but the upholstery came loose and came back and people are buying an idea of handmade and the quality needs to be there. Yeah, I think. Um, so, yeah, I've, I mean, disasters selling to people. I've had a few, not, not anything terrible where I got sued or anything, but I've had lots of disasters of making, you know, so much has not worked. But that's all part of it, isn't it? You absolutely, know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if you were to encourage someone or if someone really wanted to begin to invest in handmade furniture, handmade woodwork, how, what piece or is there a specific piece that you would suggest that people would invest in first or, you know, maybe if they were looking to support someone like yourself, is there a particular piece that you think that, well, that's a really great starting point in terms yeah, well, of... like one of my home. wee cats would be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that, isn't it nice to have a range of products from like the little beetle boxes and things that aren't in my own work anyway that aren't particularly dear you know right up through so i don't know who told me that or maybe it's just different people have said that you know if people like your work but they can't afford a table and six dining chairs you know they can buy something small yeah so and we've done that ourselves with people's work that we've liked to me we're never maybe going to be able to afford to commission them to make something but pick little things up that are yeah, we love. Yeah. Where could someone go? Do you think that maybe it wouldn't be a university level, but you could go and kind of enter into learning woodcraft? Because it's something that I personally would love to know a little bit more about, but I know I don't have the patience or access to the tools to kind of do well, it to a good degree. To learn it to, uh, well, I mean, there are that there are lots of colleges where you can learn furniture making, but I'm sure they're expensive. I used to do classes. I I, I taught classes in the Ulster Folk Museum, and then I taught for the Northeastern Health Board as well, classes in, well, it was green woodworking, but we made grass rakes and stools, so you had maybe six two-hour-long classes, or well, the ones in the Folk Museum were a day class, and everyone learned how to maybe carve a bowl or make the stools were popular because who doesn't love a stool? They're fantastic for all sorts of things. But it gave people an introduction to woodworking. They learned how to use hand tools. They learned they got a wee bit of a feel for timber. Um, and some people didn't enjoy it. And some people were pure naturals. They just were like, oh my goodness, you've done this before, no? So something like that. And there are classes like that about, especially with green woodworking, that'll give you an introduction to making things. So maybe that would be a start for people. That, like a lot of people have a kind of a grow for working with their hands for crafts that remember people that belonged to them that made things or, you know, a lot of people had a grandfather that was a woodworker, you know, that would be a good start. Do you think there's much of a community of wood makers in throughout Ireland? Like uh, we would know, you know, maybe three or four wood people, but is there much connection between makers or are you kind of, you know, working by yourself an awful lot? Um, yeah. I've been work well. I, 
I had a friend a couple of miles away who was a woodworker too, and we could interact a certain amount uh, over the years. So it was certainly good to team up to, you know, access wood and tick trees and things and share costs and travel and ideas even, bounce ideas off each other. But on a bigger scale than that, no, and it's something I, although I, I do love country, I have a love-hate with living in an isolated rural part of the world. It's wonderful in a lot of ways, but you are isolated from other makers and it's something i felt all my because it's not just the, the making it's the it's the ideas or it's even just just talking to like-minded people is important you know so there are a community of woodworkers i know a lot but i suppose it's like everything you have to make friends with people and you have to put the time into it and, and would it be quite competitive in terms of accessing materials would materials be quite scarce in terms of you know maybe accessing fallen trees from maybe like national trust sites or so on you know is that something that happens frequently well, or? Um, well maybe from those bigger bigger sites you would get the bigger sawmills would get the heads up on what trees have fallen but no there's no shortage of wood in the country and the the, the problem is getting to it before it's sawn up into firewood you know it's, it's not particularly yeah most people just think of timber as firewood but you know when you're looking at you're going there's six months materials in that tree you know so that, no but there's no scarcity would you ever consider growing your own trees and your own source of wood well yeah but i'm going to be dead before they're big enough to cut down <laughs> <laughs> so we, have, we have lots of trees around us but yeah i wasn't there if i'd done it 20 years ago yeah there's lots of wood in the country you know and people are always quite happy to, to see it go to a good home you know would you say that you're quite an outdoor person? I would imagine that if I worked in a material such as wood, I couldn't go walking in a forest without thinking, ooh, I'd, I'd quite like yeah. there to be a big storm for that tree, you know, or, or you know, something like that. Um, yeah, or, or joking with people that, yeah, that tree could fall down. A nice yeah. tree with a property, yeah. But yeah, I, I'd be, I mean, I grew up in this, I grew up in Belfast. I, you know, I was a city kid, so... I've learned this over the years. So yeah, but yeah, I have to be on my feet outdoors now, working outside, yeah. So you seem like someone that doesn't like to stand still very often, you know, it seems like you like to always constantly stay focused and inspired and creative. So well, what do you do to unwind? Um, hmm. Well, we went to, um, I, I don't, I try not to unwind. I like to go to the workshop to unwind much to, my wife's annoyance but um <laughs> we we went to connemara a couple of weeks ago and we were able to with the lockdown and i fought and resisted and then i can't go up too much work on and i'm going the stuff i've got in my head will disappear if i go and, and i resisted it and i went and i just had the three or four of the most best days you know it was just like it was like a a refresher so that I made a mental note to myself to we have to do that more often, you know. Yeah, to unwind. Other than that, I mean, I mean, I do everything. That we have we have pizza oven at the back, so every Saturday evening we have pizzas, and Ooh, one of my sons makes them now. I don't have to even make them anymore. Brilliant. So stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, and is that a wood-fired pizza oven then? Or? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> using all yeah, the wood so, coming from the workshop to uh, fuel the pizza. Any, uh, any yeah. scraps are going into it, yeah. Yeah. 
Very it's getting a bit cold now, maybe, but yeah. What what pizzas are you making? Do you or have you been to Italy? Are you um, a pizza connoisseur then? If you have a pizza no, oven. Well, we we like well, <laughs> we're not we're not connoisseurs, but we yeah we like a good pizza, but we're not just not we about it like you know. But we have been to Italy, and funny there you get a good one and a bad one. It just depends, you know. But oh yeah, but it's a long time ago since we were in Italy, but yeah. We were there once, all right. Beautiful. Brilliant. And we've been making them for years and the kids still love them every Saturday. You know, oh, so. Brilliant tradition then, that's it. Mm. Um, um, what's the last piece of locally made craft you would have purchased or swapped or acquired yeah, in some way? Th- this is a guilty one, but because you know, I probably don't buy enough. But anyway, I've got a couple of, couple of things. When we're at Connemara, we bought a few things. Um, was it Joyce's craft shop down there that we bought a basket in and, and some little clay pieces? My daughter was 24. We bought her a gold ring for her birthday. And it was a, a lad that worked a couple of years below her. He was an, he's an art, studying architecture, but he's a jeweler in his spare time. So it's just a little gold band with a square front on it. So that's the last thing we bought. And she loves it. So, and it's kind of, so it's all about, isn't it? Getting something handmade for her. You know, it's special. Absolutely. And how can people get in contact with you? Well, I, I, I email and I'm on Instagram, I suppose. They can message me on that. Brilliant. Um, my, my phone number's on the website. Instagram is at Cowsley D, C-O-U-S-L-E-Y D. And the website's David Cowsley Woodworking. Dot com. We've gone through so many names, it's ridiculous. But that's it at the minute, isn't it? The only other thing I'm going to give a shout out to is yeah. I do, oh, we, we have a, uh, a rescue dog called Rusty. And <gasps> he, he, I do a comic strip about him. I've been doing it for a while. And <gasps> he's on Instagram at Rusty Cowsley, R U S T Y. Oh, I'm going to have to look him up. That is brilliant. Uh, it's is called he... Gunshy. So <laughs> it's only a bit of fun. But, uh, is he a studio so, dog? Yeah. Well, he's he's the the family dog, but and we've had cat, the cats involved too. So it's kind of grown up with Snoopy and Garfield and all those things. So it's just a bit of fun. But yeah, yeah. No, I spoke about my studio dog. I have a basset hound, big long ears, and he's really oh, super lovely. long and. He's yeah. so, so daft. He's ridiculous. But um, <laughs> any any piece of wood, he can get his jaws around. He will. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I hope that Rusty is a very good dog for you. But yeah, well, how old is he? Where did you get him? What he, type of dog? He's a, an English setter. <gasps> and we got him as a rescue dog, but he'd been just dumped on a mountain. And we think maybe he was gun shy, which is when I'm hunting yeah. dog scared yeah. of. I don't know why, but that's what the comic strip's called. So at any loud noise, he'll be lying on his back playing dead. So he's, he's, <laughs> <laughs> but he's a great, he's a great fan. Yeah, I'm on the Instagram now and they are brilliant. And I love how the illustrations of your cats look so similar to your, your cat sculptures as well. They're fantastic. Oh, well, that, and we have that. That's Gigi, our cat. So. Gorgeous. Well, yeah. thank you so much for joining oh, us. Thank you very much for asking me. It's It's been a pleasure. What a great episode. Thank you so much, David, for taking part. It was wonderful to speak with you. Thank you also to the Arts Council of Northern Ireland who have kindly supported our second series thanks to their Artist Emergency Programme. Our next episode is coming up on Thursday, the 8th of October, 2020. 